Welcome to our weekly and weekly Wednesday night cheer. As every week, cheer is dedicated in the memory of Eliza Shalamis. Um, tonight, we did it sometimes additional dedications. I would like to dedicate tonight's year in memory of my dear father, as Yod said was today, I should see Ben Yisrael, a proud Chosid, Yishleach Tzibur, Very straight, straight fellow. <coughs> Born in Europe during the war, he did his running around in the war-torn Europe. And ultimately arrived with his family, 1947, to New York. I heard many years later, Shintav Shalom Zayin, from the Rosh Hashiva, who was later my Rosh Hashiva, Rav Lishbal, Allah Shalom, he recalled the day that my grandmother, Shalom, Brought my father and his two brothers into the yeshiva. He said he remembers three boys, Chil, Moshe, and Shmuel. And she presented <coughs> Rav Lushpal with the torn out pages of the Gemara, of the, the Talmud, from which they studied during war torn Europe in war-torn Siberia, wherever they were <coughs> during the war. And she told him, that this is it, this is what I did, this till now was my responsibility, now that your responsibility. My father went out to study in Tehmech Tumimim, the Lubavitch Yeshiva, Went to 770. He merited a very interesting notations or, or connections, as did every chassid with the Rebbe, does every chassid with the Rebbe. He had, Baruch Hashem, many <coughs> different things many different ways in which he connected with the Rebbe. Needless to say, of course, 
these connections carried on till the very last day of his life. And he imparted these connections, these learnings, this way of life to us, to his children, to be true Hasidim, and truly connected to the Rebbe. Different times of the year, the Chassidim would leave Crown Heights and they would walk to different parts of New York, um, different boroughs of New York, even. This was known as Ta'alucha. This happened on Shavuos and Shavuos Pesach, Simchastera. My father being a chazan, chazan in different places, different shuls. One such shul was Kingsway Jewish Center on Kings Highway in Ostrand Avenue, Brooklyn. Which, if you do a map quest between 770 Eastern Parkway to um, Kings Highway in Ostrand, you'll find it's quite a distance. But actually, he lived resided in Borough Park and um, <coughs> he did something very very interesting which taught me a very big lesson as how a chassid has to act how to behave we would walk on some chastera from 770 to Kingsway, Kings Highway in Ostrand, group of guys, 12, 14, whatever, shul was a very large shul, and we would join the shul for hakafas, for kiddush, for hakafas, and when the hakafas were finished, even though we knew back in 770 at that time the Rebbe was fabrenging the Rebbe was speaking addressing the whoever was still there and you don't want to be in New York and miss a fabreng and miss a sikha it was strange a strange thought to be here in the in the five boroughs and not to be by the Rebbe. So, to walk out of the shul, obviously before Fabregen, and to actually put your heart and soul into a coffers in a different shul, So that you can be Mesameach, other Yidin, make other Jews happy on Yom Tev. Even at the expense of missing hearing the Rebbe speak, missing those glorious moments of being by a Fabrengen, 
This was what the Rebbe wanted us to do, and this is what we did. Well, after we did our coffees, the Rebbe would fabring until about 11.30, 12 o'clock. Then they would clear out the shul, and the masadrim would straighten up the shul, arrange the shul in a way, would arrange the shul in a way that the hakafas could be held in shul. Many people were able to sit during Fabrengen, so there were benches in the shul, this all went out. When it came to Hakafas, the shul was empty of benches, barring this square that was made in the middle of the shul with the tables, steel, steel iron tables. It was chained closed, chained locked into one another, in which the Rebbe would come down from his place, and the Rebbe would dance Hakafas in the middle. This way, because this was cordoned off for these tables, it was safe for the Rebbe to be able to go down. And it was, e- it was not easy, but it was a way of keeping the Chassidim at a distance, keep everybody at bay, so the Rebbe would be able to dance and not get trampled by everybody. <coughs> Obviously it wouldn't be intentional, but the masses and the space was a partially impossibility. And yet everybody survived. So after our office in Kingsway Jewish Center, my father told me, let's go. I said, where are you going, Ty? You're not going back to Borough Park? He says, no, not now. I'm going to the office first. So after being the chaz in the shul and dancing our office in the Kingsway with us, My father then walked with us back to Crown Heights, squeezed himself up into my place where we stood by our coffers. We had a bench, we had a little pyramid that we had used to build up, and we of course squeezed him in there. Everybody understood this is my father, so everybody was going to take him in. So although we only had three quarters of an inch of space as is, everybody gave up another few centimeters for their own space so my father could stand with us. He stood to the durations of our coffers. He did not leave before our coffers finished. Mind you, if it starts at 1 o'clock at Teresa, <laughs> we're talking about 3.30, at least 3.30 before the rebel danced his last coffer. And at that point in time, he walked back to Borough Park. I said, stay by me and go to the shul tomorrow. No, 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 your mother's worried. Your mother's waiting. So he would walk back to Borough Park, which is another hour and a quarter at least, sleep for maybe an hour or two, and then walk back to the Kingsway, where he had to dive for the Amr again. All this to be by the Rebbe's Hakafis. All this to be able to get every moment with the Rebbe. To me, this is a life lesson. And something that we've always, I've always revered and respected my father for that, and for everything else that I need to respect him for. 
And today being his yard site, the sixth yard site, he said to one of his friends yesterday, he said, ah, tonight's my father's yard site, yesterday afternoon. And he says, what is it, two years now, three years? I said, no, it's already six years. He says, it's not possible, it's not possible. I remember standing with him. I still see him with me standing in shul or standing or davening for the Omer, the davening as a chazan, and everybody enjoyed. Couldn't imagine that it was already six years. Surprise. Time flies and you're having fun, they say. Let us return our focus Pasha Shaftin fifty plus commandments in the Pasha in total, meaning positive and negative. A very integral mitzvah in this week's Pasha, which Ironically, nobody that I know and nobody present alive today has performed this mitzvah. And yet, our nation. begins its quest, begins its essence and its existence (coughs) because of this mitzvah. Now, the art of broadcasting is you should put out something that whets the appetite of the listener but the listener wants to hear further. I mean, obviously, you don't want to be turned off in the middle. The mile of a podcast is you can pause, and you can eject, and you can stop, and you can turn off the letter. But since I'm sure this piques everybody's curiosity, what mitzvah this week's parsha has nobody done and nobody in this generation will do, but yet our nation is standing and began to become formidable due to this mitzvah. Let us go back a little bit in history. Joseph, the son of Jacob, Yosef ben Yaakov, had little uncomfortable, sticky situations with his brothers. They were very unfortunate. They were very difficult times. Ultimately, we know the story, we've discussed the story. The brothers sell Yosef as a slave. And in the time travel, the time capsule, 
Yosef is sold to Egypt. Yosef is sold to Egypt, and of course we know this is the reason, there was a reason for it, and although Yosef at the time was in pain over it, he agonized over the fact that he was taken away from his father, whom he loved so much, and obviously Egypt was not like his father's home, not kashrus-wise, not hospitality-wise, And here he was sold as a common slave. Extremely demeaning. But yet, Yosef, Hatzadik, with unwavering faith in God, understood that there was a mission. There was a mission that he needed to accomplish. There was something that was happening here that needed to happen. And ultimately, either he will or he won't merit to see the result. The result, the end result was that Yaakov Avinu had to be brought down to Egypt. Our father Jacob had to be brought down to Egypt, to Mitzrayim. And the Jewish nation is formed. They multiplied. And the nation became a formidable nation within the nation of Egypt. And ultimately were redeemed and taken to Mount Terah, taken to receive the Torah on Sinai. So although you would like to say, in essence the Jewish nation starts from our father Abraham, Avram Avinu, and if you don't want to say it started from Abraham, but only after his offspring, only after his life work was brought into fruition, did it begin as a nation. Then we return to Yitzchak Avinu, to Yag, to Isaac. But ultimately, where do we see the multiplication? Where do we see the fruition of a nation coming into Into a Metzius, to an essence, we find in Egypt. So what brings Jacob down to Egypt? His son Joseph. The message that comes up and sings to him, Joseph is still alive. Joseph sends gifts to his father, wagons to his father to bring him and to appease him for all that had gone down for over the years. Yeah. And they said, how do you know that I'm really Joseph? How would you know that this is truly your son Joseph? 
I will tell you the last thing that we were studying together. And the last thing that they were studying together was the mitzvah of Egla Arufa. A mitzvah in our Pasha. The mitzvah of a very strange happening. Although it's ultimately a mitzvah, because the Torah commands us to do this, but the circumstances are very, very strange. A traveler left the town, and a short while later was found dead on the roadside. Obviously, there was no big detective work then, no big police forces. All the different places of machines and chachomim and cameras. So who killed him? Who's culpable for this death? Interestingly, in Tata, this man, having to leave town when he did, obviously at a dangerous time, and the proof is because he was killed, was not given proper hospitality. Was not given enough food, enough time lodging. Whatever it was that was lacking, it caused this man to die on the road. So the Torah tells us a very interesting method. They take a tape measure and they measure the corpse and they see which is the most the closest city to the corpse and the elders of that city need to bring a sacrifice. What is the sacrifice? A calf. A calf that never did any work. Never bore any children, obviously. And the calf is brought to a piece of barren land that was never worked. Swamp land. And the calf is decapitated. Not slaughtered, but decapitated from the back of its neck. And the sages of the city say, Not only the sages of that city are involved, but this is an involvement of the entire elders, elders of the city, the elders of the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin Gedeva, the high courts, everybody's involved here. So bottom line, 
It's a terrible story. A terrible happening. Nothing to talk about. An interesting mitzvah. But, like I said, it has nothing to do with us. We have no way of performing an Eglarufa. And even more so, we have no reason to perform Mitzvah Eglarufa, because today's day and age, modern technology has things down pat, basically. And also, people don't travel by foot, usually, from city to city. That's the case. What does this have to do with us? Simple language. We're learning Teda. The word Teda, as we said, comes from Lashon Heidah. A teaching. What does this teach us? And it's interesting to note that last night, Baruch Hashem, we merited to have a Suda to this mitzvah from my father's yard site. And the Messiah that was made was Messiah Mesechtes Chulin, which is also the Pedic Egla Rufa, which discusses just this very mitzvah. I'm sorry, it is not. Shloch HaKam. Hagarufas and Seita. Yes, I would track that. Mark that from the, from the Shia. What does this have to do with our Aveda? The Pasuk says, Ki Yimotzi has it been found, Neifel Basada. When it will be found, Rachman al-Tzan, a person that's a Neifel. Someone that has fallen in their situation in service to God. Where is he found? He's Neifel Basada in a field. The field is referred to as Esav's playground. Esav, Mokim Esav is what? Esav Ish Sadeh. Finding himself in the surroundings of Esav, a place where there's no Torah, it's barren from Torah mitzvahs. But it's Mokim Yashuv, a place where the Adam Elyon is settled. And yet, he doesn't find it necessary to complete his task and to involve himself in Taylor. This is the fault, this is the culpability of the Nephil. Because the Nephil should have found his way to Taylor. He should have found his way to Yiddishamayim. And because he neglected to do so, because he blamed it on society or anything that happened in the past to him, rather than reverting and saying, it's the hand of God, and how do I connect to God? He is considered a nephil, someone that fell. This is therefore the lesson of the Egla Arufa, of this calf that was decapitated. Involvement with this Neifel. Who needs to reach out to this Neifel? 
Who needs to bring him in and to take him under the wing and to find them find him a place in society once again and to bring him back to life? Not just Teshvehair, not just the regular layman of the city, even the elders of the city, Ziknehair. So much further than that is the Sanhedrigadela. The main court, the main judges of the Holy Temple. Rashi says on the Pasuk, in chapter 21, verse 2, Chaf Aleph Pasuk Beis, which elders have to go out? The most choice ones, the chosen, the holiest, the special ones. Who is that Sanhedrin Gedela? The great Sanhedrin. Since this Nafil is not found near Yerushalayim, although this Nafil is not found near Yerushalayim, but in a place far from Eretz Yisrael even, still in all, it is the Tafkid, it is the mission, it is the obligation of Sanhedrin Gedela to involve themselves with him. And on them the achrayis and the obligation to prove and to verify our hands have not spilled this blood. We did not see to him. We did not cast him away without food. We did not cast him away without accompaniment. Which means it's the elders' responsibility to give to the nation that's in the field, Mazayin. What is Mazayin? What is the food that they need to give them? Teira. And the Teira has to be Beseich Me'ai. It needs to be totally within the person, in their intestines. So that this protects them. So that this accompanies them throughout the stay Esav, whenever they need to find themselves in the field of Esav. And therefore we find that each and every Jew has the obligation, from youngest to oldest, from, from simplest to most revered, has to be involved with all these people that are found in the Sadr in a way that there's no place that's void of Teda and Mitzvahs and to help them, to awaken them and to bring them closer to Teda. Hence the Mitzvah of Eglarufa directly connected And the Pasik tells us about the Egla Rufa. Vahiridu, they took off the head. See, they took down, they brought it down. They decapitated. Dashi says, What is the Arufu? This is again chapter 21, verse 4. Rashi, Perikov Aleph Pasuk Dalit, 
Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Almighty said, Tavay Egla, bring an Egla, a small calf, Bashnasa, a year old, Shalei Asa, Pedis Viteharif, that never did any, had any children, and decapitated. Then finally finishes, for what? To forgive for the person that was killed without having any more children. Now, this is very odd of Rashi. Please remember, we say it many times. Rashi says. I come to explain the simplest explanation of the Pasuk. Tell us then, Rashi, which part of the Teda, Chas V'Sholem, was not said by God. Chas V'Sholem to say such a thing. Every single word of the Teda is the word of God. But yet Rashi prefaces and says, Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Almighty said. Why? Why here does Rashi explain to the child that this Pasuk, this mitzvah, this happening, takes place after Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Truth is, when it comes to kapara, a sacrifice for forgiveness, we only find this generally if a live animal is killed only in the temple. There was a soir mishtaleach. I believe we spoke about last week the soir mishtaleach that went to the mountain called Azazel. If we didn't talk about it, we were supposed to. This soil does not make it to the Mizbeach, to the altar. It's taken to the mountain Azazel, sharp-edged mountain, mountainside. And the, eagle, the soil is then thrown off and is shredded. And if the Jews are forgiven, then the ribbon turns white, etc. But the Kayin <coughs> says the penance and the slichas and everything, the vidui in the Azara while this happens. There's also a paraduma, the red heifer, heifer, also was not done in the Beis HaMikdash. It doesn't come for forgiveness, it comes for purification. But it's also done in, in sync with the Pnei Yomayid, had to be seen, etc., the Egla Rufa is a total new entity when it comes to a mitzvah. 
And it's brought for kapara, it's brought for a forgiveness. And the Pasik says afterwards, Kaper la'amcha Yisrael, forgive your nation. And yet it was not done in the temple. Nothing. Not the slaughtering, not the throwing of the blood, not the burning of the fats, nothing. And it wasn't even done through a kayin. And it wasn't done the conventional shechita. And yet, this act was a kapora for Klal Yisrael. How could this possibly be? That this decapitation out of the Holy Temple, out of eyesight of the Holy Temple, not through a koyen, and yet is a, is a kapora for Jews. Therefore, Rashi says, the Ben Chomash Lamikra has that question. He's extremely confused. Where does this come into the picture? How does this work? And that's why Rashi says, Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Almighty said, since this does not look similar to any other sacrifices of Kapara, it needed the quote from Hashem, from the Almighty Himself, to sanctify it, and to make it, solidify it, as a kapara. And this is what this Egla Rufa does. And it's not compared to any other sacrifices that needed to be brought through the temple, etc., the blood sprayed. But this was done on its own, in its own entity, in its own sanctity, and yet caused a kapara for the Jewish nation. And this is the involvement of all the elders of the Jewish nation. So an interesting story recently. A fellow, not religious, at the time, went to Europe for business. He was single, eligible, and knew about religion that he was Jewish. And that was just about it. He traveled to Europe. And one of the girls or secretaries or co-workers or people in the same line by the convention, whatever it was, was a young eligible girl, an attractive girl, but not Jewish. Actually, a devout Catholic. And they, as we say in America, hit it off. They got, they got along very well. And they found so many things in common. They laughed together. They joked together. It was serious together. It was, it was really a great, great connection. They really made it well. They went out to dinner a few times. 
There was no way that this devout Catholic family would allow their daughter to marry a Jew. But thank God that this Jewish boy had also that little tinge of feeling although he's not religious and although he does whatever he does and lives the life he lives he was not going to marry a shiksa. And so heartbreakingly when the convention, his work finished over there in Europe he told her it's wonderful, You'd, we had a great time together, yes, but this is not meant to be. After all, I'm Jewish, you're, you're not. You're not only not Jewish, you're devout Catholic, and there's no way you would accept me, and there's no way I can accept you, etc. So, au revoir, ciao, bonsoir, cheers, whatever they wanted to say, they parted ways. And as I took the the mice is how it finished, or so it should have finished. They did still work in the same lines. <coughs> and a year or so later, they came across one another again. Their paths crossed once again. Mm-hmm. And needless to say that the he wasn't married yet, she wasn't married yet, and the flame was reignited very quickly. And he explained to her that, listen, we got big problems here. I'm not converting to Catholicism. The only way we could marry is if you become Jewish. And I highly doubt such a thing would ever happen. You don't understand what Judaism is all about. And especially not in your church, they don't preach any great love for Judaism. So it's not likely. This goes any further. But for business reasons, they took each other's numbers. They exchanged numbers. And that was it. They went their ways. A few months later, she gets a phone call from the States. It's him. And he says, listen, honestly, it's not fair. You can't make a decision of yes or not converting if you don't know anything about Judaism. Come to New York. There's a holiday coming up. Simchas I got you a place to stay by a Jewish family who knows your situation and the family are well versed and well learned learned people and they're willing to have you 
And not only have you, they were willing to answer all questions you have. And after that, you will decide. If you don't want to convert, as the gay writer. And she did, she had great feelings for him, and therefore, she said, Seder, I'm coming. She came, and needless to say, if you ever want to impress somebody with the love of Yiddishkeit, or if you ever want to turn somebody off from Yiddishkeit, (laughs) our office was the place to bring them. In 770. With the Rebbe at our helm. Where the Rebbe would dance our kafa in the middle of the shul. And as the Rebbe would turn in circle, he would make eye contact with each and every person in that shul. This is an indescribable experience. Something that nobody could imagine. And similar to Simchas Beis HaSheva, where it says anyone that did not see it cannot possibly understand, so too our coffers. And so, she joined our coffers, and she was very impressed. And she saw the Rebbe, and this impressed her more than anything else. Well, she asked her questions, and the questions were answered. After all the questions being answered back and forth throughout the holiday, she had one last request before leaving New York. Would it be possible, she asks, to get me a private audience with the Rebbe? Me, the Shiksa, I want to go in, me, the Catholic Shiksa, I wanted to go into Yechidus of the Rebbe. And they said, yes! She tells the fur, all the Yidden plotting to get into Yechidus by the Rebbe, and here they're going to get a shiksa in to go to the Rebbe. So they didn't know why they said yes, or what they were doing when they said yes. The young lady was given a date, a time, instructions how to prepare oneself before going into the Rebbe. And she merited to go into the Rebbe in his Holy of Holies to have a moment with the Rebbe. And as she came into the Rebbe, she she broke down crying and said, Rebbe, this fellow and I really feel for each other very much. However, He's Jewish, and I'm a Catholic, a devout Catholic family. But if the Rebbe tells me to, and says that it's the right thing to do, I am prepared to convert to Judaism. And the Rebbe looked at her with his holy, holy eyes, penetrating, seeing every generation that she ever experienced, that she ever had in her life. And said to her, Mamala, 
you don't have to convert. Jewish. You are Jewish. She was a little thrown off, taken aback. Rebbe, I've been in your office for two minutes and you're making such a statement. She barely spoke to me two words. You don't know me from anywhere. But she had this feeling. She had this premonition that the holiness emanating from the Rebbe was not make-believe. It was the real McCoy. And if the Rebbe said she's Jewish, there's got to be something there. And the Rebbe said to her, call your mother. Ask your mother. She will tell you. Well, the girl got home. And she came back to her host and she said, do you mind? I know this is a very awkward request. But as per the Rebbe's request, the Rebbe told me to talk to my mother. And it's a long-distance phone call. In those days, long-distance, there was no voice uh, voice over IP. There's no uh, internet calling, etc. WhatsApp calling, tangos, FaceTime, Skype. Yeah, I know. Anyone listening to this is going to say, Rabbi, you are so backward. You don't begin to know how many ways of communication there are. So... Would you mind if I called my mother? And I said, fine. And she calls the number and the mother answers the phone and she says, Mother, tell me, am I Jewish? And she expected an adamant no or, or uh, something, a, uh, some kind of drastic answer. She got a very drastic answer. Her mother hung up. She knew, obviously, this is not something to discuss over the phone. So several days later, she traveled back home as scheduled. And she came home, and again, in a corner, she asked her mother the question. And this time, her mother said, please, be quiet. With gritted teeth, of course. This cannot be discussed here in the house. Tomorrow, we'll go for a walk, and we'll talk. Well, the next day, they went for a walk to the park where the mother kept looking over her shoulder and was sure that she was not in anyone's ear sight ear range hearing range and she said to her mama I'll tell you the truth my parents and your father's parents were both Jewish however we both went through the holocaust And we both suffered the loss of families, etc. through the Holocaust. And therefore, as we met after the war, we decided that we're not going to subject our children to the same pain. Little did they know that Voltigonish Gaholfen, because of Chassel Shalom, another group like the Nazis rose up, they found you were Jewish. You can say you're Catholic from today till doomsday. They'd spray the holy water backwards on you and tell you you're Jewish again. They reversed the process. And here they said that they went and they converted the family themselves and lived the life of devout Catholics 
So never to subject their children to the life that they were subjected to. Very, very, very happily, she picked herself up, traveled back to America, and unbeknownst to anyone how it happens, she got back to the Rebbe, and told the Rebbe indeed the results, and the Rebbe said she would have to go to the Mikveh, not for conversion, but because of all the times that she went into a church, and prayed in the church of Kman So therefore she would need to go to the mikveh just to purify herself from that. And then she should go study and become a nice Yiddish Bible. And today she and her husband, the very same husband, yes, live in Haifa and at Israel, raising a fine Jewish Yiddish family. So we see how the Zikniyair, the Sanhedrin, the elders, the greatest, the highest part of the nation, the Rebbe himself, involved himself with a almost menial couple. He was not religious, she was not Jewish, as far as she knew. And yet the Rebbe saw to it to bring them together. The Rebbe saw to it that this Jewish family was brought about into this world Altaras HaKedosh, Deda Mitzvahs, because this is how the leaders, the Zikne have to deal with the nation. We're going to turn our focus off the parasha a little bit and go back to the month of El. In the month of El, one writes a letter to somebody else, until Yom Kippur, we said, should sign off with Ksiv Vaksimateva. Interesting, I met somebody today, a distant relative, and I wished him, he said, we got time for that? He said, no, we don't. He said, well, don't say it out loud in front of my wife, because that means she has to start cooking already. Well, we spoke already that the Anshe Maiz had checked the mezuzahs and tefillin, Chaydish El, although Shechemadach it says twice in seven years, which means every three and a half years, in the month of El, it's proper to have in mind when they're saying Hashivenu and anything that has to do with Tshuva, any parts of Tshuva, to involve ourselves and to devote ourselves properly and envelop with the union of Tshuva. Um, we don't eat a goizim from the days of Slichas to left Shan Raba. A goizim are nuts, filberts. They cause saliva and therefore they disturb the davening. Also, because egoism is gematria, the word chet. You can cook with them. It doesn't have the same effect on your on your palate as it does if you eat them directly. But still have still those that have a custom not to cook with them even. Um, 
but it's not necessarily something that you have to be stringent about. One should add in Sadaka and Khadishal, I believe we spoke about this last week last week as well. Ezra, we read the Teichacha, Bajki Savay before Ashana, which is to finish off any clawless, any curses that were put on upon a person through the year. The Teichacha finishes this off, and therefore we go into the new year with a clean slate. There are different customs how the Teichacha go down. Who should read it? Uh, the reader is the Balkeda himself, obviously. But who should get the Aliyah? Those that feel that the person else should get the Aliyah. Someone should just come up on his own. Some people used to fight for the Aliyah, even. Whatever it was. Generally, the Balkeda himself takes it. He's not called up for it. And therefore, no bro- nothing there should ever hurt the Balkeda. There are certain parts of the... There's one Pasuk, Pasuk Nun Ches, the year of Hashem HaNechbad, till the end of the Pasuk. Also Pasuk Mem Zayin, from the words, um, they raise their voice for. Slichas. We started to talk about Slichas. The different customs, the Sephardim have a custom, they say it the entire month of El, the Ashkenazim have to say Slichas at least four days. Now, if Rosh Hashanah does not give us four days, like this year, since Rosh Hashanah is on a Monday, so therefore we cannot say Slichas four days starting Matzah Shabbos. So we start always Slichas on a Matzah Shabbos, so therefore we'll be starting the Matzah Shabbos prior, which gives us a full week of Slichas. So you get your money's worth when you buy the slichas this year, because you get to say all the slichas. A pleasure. <laughs> the first night, obviously, slichas is usually said traditionally after Chatzay Salaylo. And the chazan puts on a talus, which is not his, because at night he cannot make a bracha on the talus. But the chazan has to wear a talus. And therefore, any other time the slichas as is said before the time of Talos and Tefillin before Mashiach then the Chazan that puts on the Talos needs to borrow somebody's Talos not the Shul Talos because the Shul Talos you would have to make a bracha on and therefore it, would need to, it needs to be a borrowed Talos which you do not make a bracha maybe it should help that we should all have the Slicha and the Kapara of this year already set for us prior to the Mayor Slichas prior to having to go to Slichas even and we should be in Yerushalayim in HaKedosh and we should hear Tka B'Shefer God L'Chedusenu and the Tkiyas of Shefer of Mashiach Tzidkenu Shabbat Shalom to all Shabbat Shalom